as you find your seats, if you will turn with me in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 8, as we continue our series the second week in search of a godly king. Last week we found ourselves in the book of Judges. If you missed it last week, let me encourage you, uh, uh, these kind of connect to one another. Uh, we're going to end with Palm Sunday and the arrival of our king named Jesus. But every week we are going to see him, uh, see him uh, foreshadowed, long for him in the text saying, boy, does God's people need a king named Jesus, one who could defeat all of his and our enemies, one who could subdue us to himself, one who could love us, one who could take us from slavery and make us sons and daughters. So every week uh, is going to point to that great king named Jesus. Let's start off with prayer. Uh, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to pray too, silently. Uh, I want you to really pray that God would speak clearly. Um, excited about this morning, as always, as a preacher, I'm nervous about this morning. There's good stuff that God has for us, and I'm just going to cry out like I have been, be thou my vision. So I'm going to give you a time that you will be able to pray silently, that you will say, God, speak to me, be thou my vision. And speak through Jeff, okay? So uh, let's join together our hearts in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, wow, this morning already has been glorious because your spirit is here. Because we get to come into your presence, a holy God's presence, without fear and trembling as slaves, as sinners. We are. But we could come because of, your son, because of Christ Jesus, your son, as your sons and daughters too. We can come into a holy God's house and be welcomed and be loved and be encouraged. Father, thank you for all that Jesus has done to make that possible. Spirit, thank you for coming and reminding us of the Father's love and the Son's work. And now we pray that you would be our vision, that we would see our King that, God, you would love us enough that you would show us areas in our lives where you're not our vision, where you're not our king. And, Father, when we hear these stories of old and we hear about a people who wanted a king like the other nations, a God that wouldn't distinguish them, but would cause them to blend in, God, I confess that that's our heart oftentimes. We want a king named Jesus that we often can control, not a king like Jesus that we submit to or on mission for. So God, come and love us. Come and lead us to see the errors of our ways. Come and speak through a broken sinner. Come and do your business with us. God, I'm going to ask that you'll hear the prayers of your people as they too pray that you'd be their vision and they pray that you'd speak through me. Father, open up our ears so we can hear Jesus. Spirit, illumine our minds so we can understand your word. Oh, Father, take our hearts in your hands and and break that which is not in belief and in conformity to You. Spirit of living God, may we walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. 
what is said and done that is true, use those things to make us love Jesus more as our King. What are just my opinion are wrong, may it fall away and be forgotten. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. You've probably heard it said that imitation is the highest form of... Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Uh, that's usually true, but not true for the Russian pair figure skaters, uh, Oksama and Maxim. Uh, they decided to uh, do their routine, their dance routine, dressed in a dance of an Australian uh, Aborigines and go and dance and dress like that native Australian group of people. Guess what? Imitation wasn't the highest form of flattery for them. I mean, I saw the outfits. I don't blame them. But they saw how they were dressed and how they danced. They said, you know, really, this isn't flattery. This is quite offensive. I got to tell you, I've seen a lot of those figure skating outfits. I find a lot of them offensive for another reason. That many sequins. And anything a guy wears with a zipper on the back with that much sequins, I'm in the real... Wow, who picked that thing out, you know? But I think that there was not their intention to offend. It wasn't their intention. I think that they, with a pure heart, uh, tried to honor a native group that they knew nothing about. I mean, they're from Australia. But it kind of backfired. You see, for God's people, it's interesting, because for God's people, for us, for the church of Jesus Christ, for God's people... Imitation in regards of trying to imitate those around us isn't the highest form of flattery in God's eyes. According to God, imitation, when God's people imitate the world, it's the shortest road to idolatry. It's the shortest road for us to begin to act and think and be like the other nations. And it's an abhorrence to God. A holy God is offended. You see, the amazing story of the Bible, the amazing story of the Gospel, the amazing story that is told to us is that God would become one of us through His Son Jesus. That Jesus would come and and He would put on the garments of humanity. He would put on the garments of flesh. He would become one of us. Living like we were supposed to live and dying the death that we were supposed to die. So that, you ready for this? So that we can wear now the garments of salvation. We can now wear the garments of heaven. So that we can now be, as he says, through the work and the death and life of Jesus Christ, through the love of the Father, so that we can become what God says, chosen. Chosen people. A royal priesthood. Not just the the ministers, but all of us in God's eyes. Royalty. All of us in God's eyes. Priesthood to offer up our lives as living sacrifice. All of us now a people belonging to God. A people of God's own choosing. Does that get anybody excited that He will say, I'm going to send my Son so that we can be chosen. I'm going to send my Son so we can be a holy nation. I'm going to send my Son so we can be a royal nation. I'm going to send my Son so we could be His. Amazingly distinct from the rest of the world. So much so that we are considered alive in His eyes and the world is considered dead. 
And it's offensive. It's offensive to God when His children, this holy God who has rescued us with His own Son, who who has clothed us in His own Son's righteousness, it is offensive to a holy God when His children dress, or if you will, act in the ways of the world. When we try to be like the other nations. And and i got to tell you, I really think that we struggle deeply here. We're going to look to an Old Testament story and how they wanted a king like the other nations. And they wanted to be like the other nations. And we can, we can look at this from afar and say, wow, how in the world could God's people choose such a thing? But I think we have to examine our hearts even as we begin and say, we have the propensity to do exactly the same thing. We want to be like those other nations. It leads to an identity problem. We forget whose we are. I mean, God has come to rescue us, to make us royalty, to make us His. We forget who we are. We, we have a behavioral problem. God wants His holy nation, His royal priest, His chosen family to act out His family values. Is the church of Jesus Christ is Orangewood living in a manner that's so clearly distinct from the world. That the world will see our deeds, our works, our love for Him and say, wow, that is a peculiar people. Or are we so much like the other nations? Not only that, it leads to a missional problem. God has redeemed us. He's called us to Himself. And it is told to us in 1 Peter 2 of the fact that we are going to be now a chosen generation. We are going to be a royal priesthood, a people belonging of God. Why? What's the whole point God says this, so that we could proclaim to the world through our deeds the marvelous glory and grace of our great God. We should be on mission. That is why we're His. So the whole world knows that there's a God who is filled with grace. There's a God who's filled with love and mercy. There's a God who makes a distinction. And the God who embraces sinners like us, who cleans us up and now says, go and live for me to make a whole difference in the world. Well, this morning as we're in our second week of this series entitled In Search for a Godly King, it will lead us, like everything in the Bible, to Jesus. Last week is a very quick uh, recap and reminder. Last week we looked to the book of Judges. And we realized that throughout the book of Judges, it keeps on saying, the people did not have a king. And so here's what they did. When, when people don't have a king... And for us Americans, that's really hard to try to wrap our arms around it. But when people don't have a godly leader, here's what they do. They do what's right in their own eyes. And the problem with doing what's right in our own eyes, it always leads to sin. Judges 2, verse 11 makes that very clear. If we're a people here, even at Orangewood today, and if we're living our lives individually, doing what's right just in our own eyes, Not only will it lead to evil, but it keeps us from really being in submission to King Jesus. We talked a little bit about last week that as Americans, we don't really like authority too much. But God calls us to Himself. He gives us great benefits and He gives us amazing love. But He says, I am to be your King. And you are to submit to Me in all areas of life. And here's the greatest news. As we do, we find life. As we do, we find love and joy and peace. He's a good king. 
Are we in submission to him? Well, this week we're going to see God's people in the Old Testament. They're going to ask for a king, but he's not a godly king. The people, God's own people, they mean they were called out of Egypt, that passed through the Red Sea, that God had blessed so much. They're going to look around to the other nations and they're going to say, how come we're not like them? How come we can't be more like them and them? We need a king. We need a king, ready for this? Like the other nations. We need a ruler that will lead us in a way that will blend in, will fit. We won't be distinct. We won't be different. Can you imagine God's people asking this? Of all he's done, now they're saying to him, make us a ruler that will make us like everybody else. And God's heart breaks. And still breaks. When that is the way we ask and live our lives. So we're going to look at this this morning. We're going to look at how they asked for the king, and then we're going to look at how that king ruled, okay? We got some scripture to get through. These are phenomenal stories. I'll do my best to uh, preach them in a way that brings them life that they deserve. But let's start. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. This is right after the book of Judges. The latest judge is a very godly man named Samuel. Uh, Samuel in chapter 7 is clearly judging, ruling Israel. And now we get to 1 Samuel 8. Uh, We're going to start off by reading verses 1 through 9. Let's be mindful, even though it's the Old Testament, still God's holy and errant word will never lead us astray. When Samuel became old, this is man of God, this judge, this ruler... He made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second son was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his way, but turned aside uh, after gain. Hmm. Can you imagine leaders who looked out for their own interests? They took bribes and perverted judges, uh, justice, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us, look at this, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. You see, the problem is this, and this is where some people get confused. Is the problem that they ask for a king, or is the problem they ask for a king like the other nations? Because some people think, well, maybe the problem, the issue was they were asking for a king, a ruler. But that can't be it, because we see back in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, the Bible, that even back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 
before the judges, God gives his people, here are instructions of a godly king. If we look for that, when they ask for a godly king, now here's the bottom line for God. It has always been his intention to have a king rule us. His name's Jesus. It's always been God's intention that we are ruled by him as our king. But in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17, he says this, the king that you shall have is the king of my own choosing after my own heart. It's a king who reflects me. And ultimately, he'll be a king named Jesus. But they said, no, we want a king like the other nations. You see, that's the last thing that God wants of his people. The last thing he wants of his church. The last thing he wants of us is that we will be just like everybody else. Do you know what he thinks of us? God says that we are to be the place where heaven and earth meet. That we as the church should be the colony of heaven on earth. The way we love one another and the way we love him should be so amazing that other people say, wow, I want to know this group of people. I want to know this God. These people live their lives radically different than anything else. And yet, what do we do? I think we miss this. Orangewood, I really think we miss this. I think we spend so much of our time individually trying to be like the other nations, the neighbors, the Joneses. I mean, I look at our lives oftentimes as Christians and say, how much distinction really is there between the way we live our lives and the world lives their lives? How much has King Jesus affected the church as far as how much we give of our money? The way we spend our money. How much has King Jesus come and really shaped the way we set our schedules? We set boundaries. And how much are we like the other nations? The other cultures? The other neighbors? The people around us? I look in my own life sometimes and say, really, where's the difference, Jeff? Where is God in living for Christ and being on mission for Christ making a substantial difference in my life? Are we really a church that says we long to be on mission for Jesus? We, you know what? It's going to cost us something. We might be mocked and ridiculed. We not, may not be able to live our lives the same way. But we're going to be on mission for Jesus. We're not going to be like the other nations. I just, think, I just think, Orangewood, my beloved Orangewood, that the world has gotten in the ranks here. And I know it's powerful. And listen, I don't, want any, I don't want to miss out on anything. You know what the truth is? The truth is this. I want Jesus and I want everything else. I really do. I want a Jesus who's not going to be very demanding. I want a Jesus who will save me from my sins and wash me and make me whiter than snow. I want a Jesus that makes me feel like a a, a chosen person, a holy nation. I want a Jesus that will secure a place from heaven for me. But I want a Jesus oftentimes that will just then back away from my life. (laughs) Don't be a demanding Jesus. Don't be a demanding king, you know? I mean, because if you become a demanding king, you might start meddling with the things I really like. My time, my money, my resources. 
Okay, King Jesus, come and love me. Come and rescue me. Come and protect me. But don't demand a whole lot from me. Do you ever feel that way? I sometimes think we need to look at our lives and look at our checkbooks and, and, and look at our calendars and, and what are we doing and continually ask the question, are we on mission for King Jesus? Or are we just trying to ask for a king like the other nations? Man, is this hard. Is this hard? I think this is hard. Because I want to talk about the Israelites. Because I feel a lot better saying these people just didn't get it. You know, those people are just morons. I mean, God's just providing, providing, providing. And now they're going to say, you know, they're going to complain, complain. What's wrong with those Israelites? They're morons. I feel good about that. I feel good about calling them morons, okay? I don't feel good about God meddling with my life, though. I mean, I mean, it's so easy to look back to the Old Testament and say they had some serious issues because God's own people said, we want to be like others. And I just can't help the Holy Spirit screaming in my ear and saying, Jeff, that's your life. Jeff, that's the church. Jeff, that's where you find yourself today. We want to be like everybody else. And God says, no, no, don't dress like them. Don't dance like them. I'm the God's, I'm the judge of the earth, the world. You're mine. Be different. Be different. Quit catering. Man, could somebody else come up and preach this sermon, please? I, I think what happens is it really keeps us on, uh, on being on mission for King Jesus. And, you know, we've always been designed to be on mission for King Jesus. Now, do you guys really believe that? Those are preacher words. Those are just, those are churchy words. I mean, those are things that a guy who went to seminary says, we need to be on mission for King Jesus. And most of y'all say, what in the world does that mean? It means this. From the very beginning of time, God made us in his image to fill the earth with his glory. You are here. I am here for the primary reason that this whole earth is filled with the glory and the knowledge of God. We exist to reflect his glory, to sing his praises. We are here first and foremost primarily for his plan to fill the whole earth with the knowledge and the glory of God. But you know what we want to do? We want to do the same thing that people did in Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. God said, go fill the earth with its glory. You know what they decided to do? Let's build a city for ourselves. Let's just stop here. and Let's build a really nice tower to heaven. Let's build a monument to ourselves. And, and why, you know what? I'm weary of going to all the earth. I'm weary. Let's just settle down right here. Let's do our own thing. Let's build our own city. Let's build an own monument. Let's, let's even build a stairway to heaven. It's in you and it's in me. God has called us to be on mission wherever you do, as a teacher, as a student, in, in your marriage, in your careers, in your life. God has primarily called you to himself as this holy nation, this royal priesthood, to be on mission for God in every single thing that we do, and every little thing matters, every, it really does. The way you love your children, the way you love your spouse, the way you live your life as a single in purity, everything that you really do matters to God. It's telling his story, it's to advance his kingdom, it's to fill this earth with his glory, and there's something inside us called sin that says, but I really do just kind of want to build a city for myself. 
I just kind of want to build a tower that talks about all that I have done. I just want monuments to myself. I don't want to be on mission for King Jesus sometimes. And I think that's where the church has amazingly lost her focus. That we think it's about us and we lose this missional focus and we want a King Jesus who doesn't meddle with our lives. Orangewood, just, just dream with me for a minute. What would we look like as a church, as a body of people, individually and corporately, if we really thought that God wanted us on mission for him? What would we look like if we said, you know what, we are here to proclaim his glory, his renown in all the earth, and all of our resources and all of our life have to go to that end. We are here today in this generation to make Jesus known, and we are going to die trying. Man, that's a radical church. Or are we saying, Jesus, we love to come in and worship, and man, it feels so good singing your praises, and, and to be thou my vision, and, and all of my life, and, but, but just when it's over with, don't meddle too much, okay? It's amazing how God's people can get so far off. Let's continue the story. First uh, Samuel 8, um, verses 10 and following. So Samuel told them the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said these things. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Listen, anything, I want you to hear these words because this is so distant. Unless we hear these words, and not necessarily a king, but maybe a way of life. Anytime that we're not submitting to Jesus as our king and our ruler. Anytime we're not in submission on a mission for him. Anytime that we let anything else in our life be primary. Anytime that we let anything else in our life be that which we are really living for, this will happen. For them, they're just saying, this is what a king will look like. Our king looks more like materialism. Our king looks more like popularity. Our, our king looks a lot more like the American dream. That, that's what many of us have grown up to make king, okay? So let's just, let's just try to get into this text in a way that makes sense for us. So that's, that's it. So Samuel told uh, these words, and he said, here's what this king is going to do. Uh, these are the, way, the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow for his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and the vineyards and the olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flock and he shall, and you shall be his slaves. And in this day you will cry out because your king whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Can you imagine hearing that? Here's what you're going to ask for. They're going to make you a slave. What you're asking for is going to take your daughter's. And they're going to become perfumers. They're going to take your sons and they're going to be slaves. This king is going to suck your life out of you. This king is going to ultimately make your life miserable. 
And listen, this king for us is anything apart from Jesus. It's anything apart from Jesus. It's going gonna, it's gonna to suck our life out of us. It's, it's going to make us slaves. Any, listen, here, here's the bottom line. Anything, anything that we follow in this life, anything that we follow in life, that, that we make king or ruler of our life, anything that's primary in our life, Anything apart from Jesus will always enslave us. It will always enslave us. Always. It will not set us free. The world does not have the ability. A system of thought or religion or or wealth or materialism does not have the ability to set sinners like us free. It won't. It will enslave us. It will enslave our children. It will enslave all that we are and all that we have. Why in the world would we want to be like that? Jesus has come to set captives free. He's come to give His life and life abundantly. He's come to forgive us and make us His sons and daughters. The only way that we can be free is through Jesus. And under His kingship, we are no longer slaves. You ready for this? We're sons and daughters. Give us a king like the other nations. What? We got King Jesus. They're going to make you slaves. And so, but the people refuse to obey the voice of Sam. Oh, that sounds good to us. It's a good deal. Okay, they're going to take our daughters. They're going to take our sons. They're going to take our stuff. The best of us. Okay, great. Yeah. Bring it on. We want to be like them. They said, no. There should be a king over us. They also, uh, so that we may also be like all the nations. Isn't that sad? Don't you want to weep? They want to weep. But what God's people just said, no. No. We want to be slaves. No, no, we want to be like the other nations. No, no, we want a king that may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Who cares that he plunders us? And Samuel heard the words of the people. He repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. And then in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, they pick a king named Benjamin. Remember we talked about from the tri- uh, Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. He was handsome. He was tall. He was strong. And guess what they got? A king like the other nations. Having an earthly king will always lead us to be a slave. How is it with us? Do we really long for King Jesus to come and to submit to Him and be on mission for Him? Let's turn to chapter 15 and I'm going to quickly show you some of the highlights or should we say some of the lowlights of Saul as king. This is what happens. Jesus says something really tough or God says something very tough uh, to, to uh, Saul as king in chapter 15. It starts off with stuff that we don't like. It's kind of hard for us to figure out. But when God commands hard stuff, we got to do it. And here's what he basically says to Saul. Hey, these Amalekites, um, they really uh, are very, very sinful. Uh, they have treated God's people very, very poorly. Um, it's time for their judgment. Again, this is a different time when God had a theocracy uh, uh, trying to establish here on earth. Uh, we don't operate this way right now um, in the new covenant. But he says this to him. He says to God's people and to Saul as warrior, I want you to go and I want you to wipe them out. Now listen, don't, don't take any stuff for yourself. Sometimes there might be plunder, but this is it. Don't touch their stuff. Wipe it all out. Everything. Everything. Everything that breathes has got to go. 
all of us should feel a little bristly about that. Are you kidding me, God? I mean, that seems pretty darn bloody. That seems kind of harsh. And, and what in the world are you thinking? And again, this sermon's not focusing on that, but I wanted to say this one point before we move on. God is a holy God. And He cannot be where there is indwelling sin. He's going to deal with it in your life and my life. And He knew that these people would lead God's people astray. He said, I'm going to deal with it. But here's what Saul does as king. Saul says, you know what? I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. I'm going to go and I'm going to destroy all that which is worthless. All that that doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, take, take, take that away. But all that's worth something, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep. I'm going to even keep the king alive. And so the prophet Samuel says, this is what you're supposed to do in chapter 15. And Saul says, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. And Samuel comes back and said, hey, did you do what the Lord asked you to do? And he said, oh, yeah, I, I did it all. And Samuel says, what's that bleeding I hear in my ear? It sounds like I hear cattle. Sounds like I hear some things that were supposed to be destroyed. And you know what Saul says? I saved it for sacrifice to the Lord. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Tries to spin this thing in a spiritual thing saying, I wanted to give the best for the Lord. Listen, the Lord commanded him to do something. He did what was right in his own eyes. And then tries to spin it back to the Lord. I mean, it's like, it's like living a life where you know a relationship is wrong and God clearly says it's wrong, but you can do what's right in your own eyes and then spin it back to the Lord saying, well, God wants me to be happy and, and God wants me to enjoy this. God created me for this. It's doing what's right in its own eyes. And that's what Saul does. I mean, verse is 9 through 10. Clearly, he's doing what's right in his own eyes and not in God's eyes. I want to look at verse 12. Here's Saul. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and, he, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgad. Gilgal. Here's what he does. He does what's right in his own eyes. Not only that, he'll do what's right for his own glory. Did you hear what he did? The dude built a monument for himself. I mean, yeah, I got one one victory down. I didn't do it God's way. But you know what? I'm going to start walking around making big, huge monuments for myself. How do we relate to that? Maybe that's our 401k. Maybe that's our retirement. Maybe that's our reputation. Maybe that's just building a monument for our life, for ourselves. Saul was living for his own glory. As the king of God's people, he was living for his own glory. He was doing what's right in his own eyes. In verses 24 through 30, when he finally keeps on being shown he's a sinner, he's a sinner, he's a sinner, he says this. He says, uh, will you please honor me, Samuel, in the eyes of the elders? Are you kidding me? You're disobeying God. You're setting up monuments for yourself. But here's what you really care about. My own reputation. Can you make me look good to others? 
do we live for God's reputation? Is that, is that, is that ultimate for us? Is it really ultimate for the, that God's name and reputation be seen? Or do we live for our own? Would you live to say, you know, more than anything, yeah, I want a king in my life, but really what's ultimate to me is my own reputation, this church's reputation, my business's reputation, whatever. Listen, that is all secondary. May we lose it for the sake of Christ. Jesus was willing to hang out with whores. He was willing to hang out with tax collectors. He was willing to hang out with the broken. He was l- willing to lose his reputation for the cause of Christ. And here's what we see as sinful behavior when we want a king like the other nations. We care more about us than we do about him. It's even true in the preacher's life. I love the fact that Jesus came and he led without reputation. Do you know even Jesus, it wasn't about his reputation. He did nothing apart from the Father's will. He did nothing to seek his own glory. He did everything to reflect it back to the Father. A man without reputation, a man without guile. That's the king we need to have. At the end of this, in verse 30, 1 Samuel fifteen thirty, he asked Samuel, will you pray to your God for me? He doesn't even know God personally. Do you? He really didn't even know him personally. Let me ask you a few questions as we close. In what areas of your life Are you trying to be like the other nations? I think we got to look at the important things. I think we got to look at our finances and our time, our our reputations. I mean, in what areas of your life are you trying to keep up with the Joneses? That's basically saying you want a king like the other nations. Everything that God brings to you, you got to know you're off mission. What monuments are you building for your own honor? It's in us, folks. Sinful people like us, we want monuments for our own honor. Plaques with our name on it. People that say great things. Things that point to a wonderful life. And listen, we should have a wonderful life. But everything in that wonderful life should point to Him. Everything. It's so contrary to a sinful heart. What monuments are you building to your own honor? I love the story I was told this week that um, a man recently was looking at all his stuff, all his monuments that really were for his own honor. And he, he came to this amazing conviction. You ready for this? He came to this conviction he had too much stuff. Man. And he says, I got to give away stuff. I got too many monuments. Because they're starting to become my identity. They're starting to become my security. I want to be on mission for King Jesus. No monuments for our own glory. Only monuments for His. Whose reputation are you spending your life and your time building and protecting? I mean, seriously, in those hard conversations around the water cooler, in those places where God is not visibly present, whose reputation are you protecting? Whose reputation are you building? Is it for King Jesus or is it for your own gain?
Orangewood, we live our lives too often wanting a king like the other nations. A king that's not too demanding on our schedules and our time. A king that's not too demanding on our interests and certainly doesn't meddle with our money. A king that we want him to be there for us when we need him, but basically just kind of get out of the way and live our lives. Is that us? Is that you? Are we trying to be just like the other nations? If so, we need to repent. Are we doing what's right just in our own eyes? Are we really submitting to Him? And ultimately, do you really know Jesus personally as your King? I think this is especially hard for us because we have an amazing church, an amazing culture here, an amazing school, but I do see it as an amazing problem that we try to be like them when he's called us to be a colony of heaven on earth for him. Let us pray. Father, I, who am I to stand up and give that sermon? A son of Jesus, that's who. A son to a king who is king of kings and lord of lords. Who has come and given us everything so that now in turn we could live to give him everything. Who has come so that we could be different, holy, chosen, royal. Not to be vanilla in the same. Holy Spirit, don't let us leave here like the other nations. Don't let us leave here wanting a king Like the other nations, we have King Jesus. We are His. And the world should see the difference. And you, you should see the difference. Come Holy Spirit and work. In Christ's name, amen.